to be together as a church family, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? Because Jesus Christ says he wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. As TJ said, Easter is coming. It's two Sundays away. And on that day, we will have our normal three services, 8:15, 9:30, and 11. We'll love to worship with you on Easter. If you have flexibility in your schedule, uh, I would encourage you, and you would like to serve others in this way, I'd encourage you to consider the 815 service. That is typically the Easter service with the most leg room. Um, and so if you have that flexibility and would like to serve others in that way, you'll free up a seat for someone later in the day. If you are not able to do that, uh, that's fine. Come when you are um, and worship whenever. We just look forward to worshiping together on Easter. The other thing I want to make sure you know is that if you don't get emails from the church, that would be because we don't have your email address. And so we would love to have it because for a few reasons. One is, as we get towards summer, sometimes uh, some, some things can get just a little bit squirrely because we are renters and this school is becoming a K-8 school. So they're going to make some changes and we think everything's going to go fine, but it'd be really nice to have everyone's email address in case... Uh, we need to call, call an audible at the line of scrimmage one Friday. So um, if you would be so kind as to make sure we have your email, you can just, the cards you're offered at the way in the door, we have some right over there. Just put name and email and we'll, we'll take care of the rest. It'll work like magic. Then you'll get emails from the church. The other thing that we um, will we'll correspond via email about, for the last few years, there's been a group that has sort of... Um, under the radar, been looking for the potential of a more permanent spot or a more permanent home for our church family. Uh, we don't have like breaking news on that front, but we do hopefully have some updates sometime over this month that we just like to keep you in the know on. So we're not going to spend a lot of service time on that at this point, but we just email, email that to you. So there you go. We'd love your email address. That's all I'm trying to say here. We'd love your email address. So one of the most successful business people of the 1900s was a man named Howard Hughes. Mr. Hughes, at the time of his death, had an estimated net worth of over $1 billion. That would be, in today's money, 6 to $7 billion. He left no will. He has no known heirs. If you're a little tight on cash, you may want to think of a way that you are related to Howard Hughes. He was interviewed one time, or many times, but one time he was asked the question, how much money is enough? And his somewhat famous response was, just a little bit more. Now compare that to the wise philosopher of my youth named Sheryl Crow, who in a particular song said that what's important, and this was her quote, is not having what you want, but wanting what you've got. Then something about soaking up the sun. Not having what you want, but wanting what you've got. Today we continue in our series of sermons leading to Easter on what the early Christians called the seven deadly sins. They saw these as like the core sins out of which all other immoralities grew. And for each of the seven deadly sins, they, they found a corresponding Christ-like 
virtue. And the point of the series is this, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and being transformed. That when you put your faith in Jesus, or if you ever do come to put your faith in Jesus, if you trust your life into his hands, if you invite him into the center of your life, you are forgiven and you are being transformed. And so our hope for this series is to, to... my prayer is that we will all have a closer relationship with God as, first of all, we, we acknowledge and come to grips with how much forgiveness it really does take to forgive all of our sin, but secondly, that we can name before God places in our life where there's still work to be done. So not just name it in casual conversation, not just joke about it, but honestly name before God places in our lives where there's still work to be done. In this sermon, we're going to tackle two of the seven deadly sins, which will just leave us one for the conclusion next week. Today, we want to look at the deadly sins of greed and envy. Greed and envy. And their corresponding Christ-like virtues for greed is generosity and for envy is gratitude. So this sermon is going to sound like it's about greed and envy, but it's really about generosity and and gratitude. And the question we're trying to answer is, how much is enough? How much is enough? Will we ever have enough? So let's start at the beginning. God created you, God created me to live lives of gratitude, to live lives of generosity. You were created, I was created for a life of gratitude, of wanting what you've got of being thankful to God for what you have. And within that, we were also created for a life of generosity, a life where we receive and we give, we receive and we give, we receive and we give. We give our time, we give our money to God's work, to to your church family, to ministries, to missionaries, to meet the needs of those who are in poverty, to, to, to meet needs that stir your soul. And if I were to ask, right, how many of us want to be generous, grateful people, you think it was a rhetorical question, right? Everyone's hand would go up. Everyone wants to be a grateful and a generous person. So why is it so hard? (laughs) Because it is hard. We we live in, people in our area generally are some of the top wage earners in the whole world. Right? Like, I'm not saying all of us, but as a rule, generally we have more discretionary income than most people have income income. And yet what we find is that as our pockets get deeper, our arms get shorter. And in our, in our abundance, it's hard to be generous. We are less generous. In fact, this is a study they do every few years, and the result is always the same. The more you make, the less you give. It's just like, it's a truism at this point. The more you make, the less you give. Sometimes as a percentage and sometimes just in real dollar values. The more you make, the less you give. The deeper your pockets, the shorter your arms. Now, this is not a new problem. The 10th commandment says this. You shall not covet, in other words, envy. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not covet, I do not envy my neighbor's ox. And I certainly do not envy my neighbor for having an ox. Did you guys, you still have it? No, you had to get rid of it? Okay, got it. 
HOA, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hogabooms are my neighbors. The point of the passage is not necessarily about the ox, but that you can covet all kind of things. You can covet people's houses, you can covet people's property, you can covet people's spouses, you can covet people's family, you can env have envy about any number of things. People's economic position, their possessions, their belongings, we can have envy about any number of things, and then envy is going to call its friend greed, and then we got a, a mess on our hands. Generosity and gratitude will start to get crowded out by greed and envy. But remember the good news. Never forget the good news. Through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven and defeated. When you put your faith in Jesus, your sin is forgiven and it is defeated. And so then you get to join Jesus in uprooting the old, uprooting the diseased, and planting something new, planting something more Christ-like. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you quickly at a high level three passages in the New Testament on this theme. And what I'm going to do at the end is ask you to pick one of the three passages and to read it or study it on your own sometime this week. Okay, so it's like a sampler platter, and then you're going you're gonna to have to order one of those as your main course. Now, it's a take-home, untimed assignment. So if you're not good at finding stuff in the Bible, that's okay. It's take-home. It's untimed. You can find it. You can read it. As, as you're able to your level of, of spiritual maturity, you can study it. But just see how God might keep, keep, keep doing his work. So how might we move from greed and envy, how might we follow Jesus from greed and from envy to gratitude and generosity? The first passage is Matthew chapter 6. We heard this earlier. This is Jesus teaching. He taught, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Latin word for heart is core or cora. In other words, who you are at your core. Jesus is contrasting earthly treasure and heavenly treasure, whether you want to have a storage unit on earth or a storage unit in heaven. He is contrasting investing in temporary things versus investing in God's eternal work. And then he states a really deep principle. The person who helped lay the foundations of the earth says, where your treasure is, your heart is there also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. In other words, what you and I do with our money begins to shape who we are at our core. Now, we kind of already knew that who we are at our core shapes what we do with our money. Jesus is actually adding the other side of the loop and saying, and what you do with your money starts to shape who you are at your core. So who we are at our core shapes what we do with our money. What we do with our money shapes who we are at our core. You see that this is a cycle? And it can be a good cycle or a bad cycle, <laughs> but it's a cycle, and it's a hard one to break. Once it starts heading in the right direction or the wrong direction, it's a hard one to break. Jesus continues, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is a bit confusing, at least to me, when I read it the first time, because it seems like Jesus just changed subjects. He was talking about where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be, and then he starts talking about eyes and darkness and all this sort of stuff. But there's a footnote in the Bible that's pretty helpful, which is that his word here for healthy has the connotation of generous. And so unhealthy has the connotation of greedy or stingy. Okay, that's helpful. So he didn't actually switch topics. He's talking about the same kind of thing. Jesus says our eyes are supposed to give light to our whole body. But if our eyes don't give light to our whole body, double trouble. First trouble, you're in darkness. Second trouble, what's supposed to give you light is only giving you darkness. It's kind of like this. Jesus, imagine you're in a room that only has one exit and the exit gets sealed shut. Bad news, the exit is sealed shut. Really bad news, that's the only exit. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at. He's saying that our finances are supposed to bring joy and vitality to our whole lives. Finances are supposed to be the eye through which our whole lives are full of light. That you and I can become generous people, but we will become generous first and foremost by what we do with our money. We can become people of gratitude, but we will become grateful first and foremost by practicing gratitude in financial matters. And so if our finances and what we do with money are making us more grateful and making us more generous, if it brings joy and vitality into our lives, Jesus would say, that's awesome. That's how it's supposed to work. But if it's not doing that, in fact, if it's creating strain and tension in our lives, if it's a place where envy or greed have won the day, then that's bad news. But here's the double bad news. That's the only exit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you and I can be stuck in this, this cycle. It can be a good cycle. It can be a bad cycle. That who we are at our core shapes what we do with our money, but then what we do with our money shapes who we are at our core. And that can become a, a life-giving cycle or it can be a death spiral. And so we need God to intervene in that loop and change who we are at our core. This begins to get us to our second passage, which is Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It starts in verse 13. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. In this passage, a man comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus to help settle an inheritance dispute like Jesus is Judge Judy. And Jesus essentially says, I don't do that. And then he turns to the crowd and says, y'all, I'm pretty sure he said y'all, y'all, y'all need to be far more concerned about greed than about inheritance disputes. And then he tells them a parable. He tells them a story about this. He just made this up to make his point. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So in the parable, there's a rich man. For the purposes of me retelling the story, what shall his name be? Steve. Steve. <laughs> That's good. Hugh, Steve, I'm glad no one said Michael. What did you say? Hugh, okay, H.C., good. His name will be H.C. Oaks. So I don't want to typecast your H.C., Okay. We'll say Bob. His name was Bob at the 9.30 service. His name was Brad at, at 8.15. So we got this guy named Bob. But Bob's got these beautiful barns. Bob had a great year. A lot of harvest came out of the ground for Bob. 
And he says, what shall I do with all this extra? It doesn't fit in my barns. Okay, the parable continues. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So I've got all this extra sitting around. What shall I do with it, Bob thinks? I will build bigger barns. Right? Even though harvest comes every year, (laughs) this is not like his one shot. Harvest is going to come every year. He's got all this extra, bigger barns, bigger and better barns. And Jesus ends the story with a bang. This is ending the story with a bang. But God said to him, the man building the bigger barns, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. In other words, you will die. You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. At this point, you might realize Jesus is serious about this greed stuff. He doesn't want us to get wrapped up in this greed stuff. So in the parable, the man is about to start tearing down his barns. He's got his blueprints for his bigger, better barns out. And God says, you're going to die tonight. Now what? Well, at that point, he has no barns and no grain. And when people find out he's gone, it's going to look like Black Friday at Walmart. People are going to be coming for the grain, for the scrap metal, for the wood. They're going to be taking all this stuff. There may or may not be a funeral, but there will be a battle royal. God's question to him is important. Look at the question. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? For yourself. Yourself. That's, to me, the interpretive word here, the parable. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This man's life was chiefly about himself. And so when he gets all this extra grain on a good year, and remember, he starts the parable as a rich man, so he already had enough to start the parable. He's already rich when the parable starts. And then he has a really good year above what he thought he would. He thinks, how can I give all that extra to myself? To myself. He's living a life that is chiefly about himself. Jesus' point is, dude, you're, he meant I said dude, dude, your needs are met. You're, at this point, your needs are met. So why not give the abundance away? Why not live a life that's about something bigger than yourself? Why not give it to God's work? Why not give it to someone who needs it? That would be the heart of generosity, to both receive and to give, to receive and to give, to receive and to give. Swamps only receive and deserts only give. Jesus doesn't want you to be either. He wants you to receive and give, receive and give. That's what makes rivers beautiful. Every point on them receives and gives, receives and gives, receives and gives. Jesus is asking us, who is our life about? Who is your life about? Michael, who is your life about? Who or what is most important to us at our core? Once we have met basic needs, and please, 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 please hear this. Please meet your basic needs. Please meet the basic needs of everyone who is under your care. Please meet basic needs. Once basic needs have been met, pay attention to where the money goes. 
pay attention to where your money goes because where your treasure is will give you some insight into where your heart is. This gets us to our third passage as we continue to follow Jesus from greed and envy into gratitude and generosity. The third passage is 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll list all these up on the screen at the end in case you need to write any of them down. 1 Timothy chapter 6. So in this passage, Paul, the author Paul, is warning about some false teachers. There are some false teachers who are using all the right Jesus words, but their message is not the message of Jesus. Right? That can still happen today. We have to be careful. We have to be thoughtful. You can use all the right Jesus words, but be saying something different than the message of Jesus. So this is where he said, that Paul says this about the false teachers. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies. This is even before social media now. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, I'm glad we don't have anyone like that anymore. Let's move on. Paul is, sort of <laughs> Paul is sort of listing out the ways that these false teachers have gone awry, and what he points out at the very end is that their money, their treasure, has become a central part of their corruption. They are trying to use God to get rich. And where their treasure is begins to show you where their heart is. What they're doing with their money is shaping who they are at their core. So they're trying to use godliness as a means to financial gain, but Paul ends this way. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Echoes of the parable about the biggest barns, right? The bigger barn parable. As any good country music song will tell you, you cannot attach a U-Haul to a hearse. You, you, you come into this world with no material possessions, and when you leave this world, you have no material possessions. Everything in between is just temporary. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, am I getting wrapped up in the temporary? Where am I getting wrapped up? Where is my heart getting wrapped up? Is my heart getting wrapped up in what is temporary or in what is eternal? Now, both are important. Both require careful planning. The point of this sermon is not that you should not have a retirement account. The temporary is important and it requires careful planning. But the eternal is important and it too requires careful planning. Where is our heart getting wrapped up? The scripture says that the great gain is, this is the quote, godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. Contentment would mean that I am satisfied with what God has given me. I am grateful for what God has given me. It is enough. Godliness with contentment. The greatest gain in life is to love God. 
to have a vibrant living relationship with the God of the universe, to do that through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to live apart from God. You don't have to live separated from God. You don't have to live in rebellion against God. You can live in relationship with God as we invite Jesus into the core of who we are and ask him to change us. Change me at my core. I'm not interested in surface level change anymore. I'm interested in change at my core. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to change you. He came to change me. He came to change billions of people at our core. To restore us into a right relationship with God, not because we've earned it, not because we deserved it, but because he gives it to us as a gift. So that we could have godliness with contentment. So that we could say, Lord, let me be grateful. Lord, let me be content. Lord, let me be able to respond to you in gratitude. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Thank you, God, for what you've given to me. Let me be generous with it. Let me be generous to your work in the world. Let me be generous to your church, generous to ministries, to missionaries, generous to those who live in poverty, generous to the needs that stir my soul. I often think of generosity as being something like a growth chart. Did you ever have a growth chart when you grew up? Like you'd be like, okay, little Johnny is this tall, and now little Johnny's this tall, and you know, you just mark it up the door frame. And then someone really tall would come over to your house, and you'd try to like put them on there too. That's always my job, to throw off your family's growth chart. Make you realize you're swimming in the shallow end of the gene pool. Yeah, sorry, HC, typecasting. But, but I think of generosity as something like a growth chart, you know? If you're only this tall, you're not going to shoot up to this overnight. You've you got to start where you are and incrementally move to where you want to be. Or in, in this sense, believe that God has called you to be. So if you currently give 0% of your income to anything outside of yourself... Uh, then I would say take the first step. Go from zero to one percent. Once you kind of get one percent, one to two percent, two to three percent. We've got folks in our church who give more eight, nine, ten, eleven percent. Well, then you, you sort of take that. You follow Jesus one step at a time. You f- and so in our finances, this means we follow him one dollar at a time, one decision at a time, one percent of our income at a time. We have some folks in our church who by means and generosity, are, are able to give and, and decide to give 20, 30, 40% of their income to God's work in the world. And, but they don't think they're done yet. Let's just keep growth charting up. There's a man in the Bible, Zacchaeus, he gave away 50%. So I just said to you, say, we just growth chart our way up to where we think God has called us to be. Now, if you've ever been like me and thought, okay, I'll give God what's left over at the end of the month. I don't really have room for it right now, but I'll give God what's left over at the end of the month. You've probably realized that's not a workable solution because when you get to the end of the month, the number is zero. So you write the number zero on a piece of paper and you put that, uh, you know, you give that. You have to be proactive about this. You have to say, okay, here's what I've decide here's what we or we as a couple or I as an individual here's what I or we have decided we're going to give to God's work in the world this month or this quarter or this year we're going to be proactive about it it's not where we want to be forever but it's a step further than where we are and what you begin to find is that through that action God starts to shape your heart where your treasure is there your heart will be also 
The old preachers had this old expression, and I love it, and it's what I want to end with. Their old expression was, we cannot outgive God. It's one of the best old preacher expressions there is. We cannot outgive God. Because usually we start with this mindset. Man, God doesn't need this money nearly as much as I do. That's usually where we start. But over time, as we take steps in this, uh, what we begin to find is that as much as we give, and it feels like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to give this, but I'm giving it. Um, as we start to give, what we determine, when figure out is that God gives far more. God is far more generous than we are. And God doesn't always give financial stuff back. Sometimes God gives joy in abundance. Sometimes He gives peace in abundance. Sometimes he begins to cultivate within you a deep gratitude or a deep generosity. You watch God the Holy Spirit shaping you and changing you from the inside out through something as boring as what you do with your bank account or your checkbook, if you even still have one of those. But something that seems so boring as that, you watch the Holy Spirit begin to shape you and change you from the inside out to make you a person of more gratitude, more generosity. And then you see the wisdom of what Jesus was saying. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And what in the end we find is that God is calling us to a life of generosity beyond what we've ever imagined. But what you find along the way is that God is far more generous than you have ever imagined. He created you. He loves you. He loves to watch you grow. He came to earth to redeem you, to, to make you his, to call you his son or his daughter. He did not come to condemn you for the ways that your life has fallen short. He has come to call you his own. He is far more generous than you can imagine, than I can imagine. You cannot outgive him. So my wrap-up question for us is this, before we're totally engulfed by the heat of this gym. Through which of the three texts, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, that's the one about your treasure in your heart. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, that's the bigger barns parable. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, that's the godliness with contentment. Through which of those three texts did God speak most deeply to you, and what's your biggest takeaway from it? And again, what I'd encourage you to do, write down the one or two that you really want to read again or study again this week as part of us preparing to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks. Let's, let's immerse ourselves to the extent that we're able, immerse ourselves in the Word of God and ask Him to continue to change us and point out ways uh, that, that He is wanting us to uproot the old and plant the new. And so I give you and me that as sort of a... Uh, a little way to keep doing that. Let this be the jumping off point through which God continues to do His work in your life through the power of His Word, through the Scripture. My final closing thought is this. This winter, we have had both our kids and our youth do different mission projects in the community. So our kids donated diapers uh, for new moms at the Ada Jenkins Center. And then our youth gave uh, money and shoes for... Uh, for uh, access to success for their peers in Nigeria. And, and it, it has been really just sort of wonderful um, to watch. In many ways, this is kind of an easy culture to grow up in, but it's also a hard culture to grow up in in this way. It's tailor-made for envy. 
Our culture is tailor-made for envy. And ultimately, envy will call its friend greed, and then you got a hot mess. And so it's been really nice, beautiful to get these pictures of kids um, who are doing chores around the house so that they can have money, that they can go buy these diapers and donate them. Great conversations between uh, kids and parents of like, there are people in our community who can't afford diapers. Uh, great. Uh, I got to watch uh, some of our youth empty out jars of money that they had saved to give shoes to their peers in Nigeria. It's this sort of beautiful snapshots of gratitude and of generosity. And here's what we also know. As they grow up, their pockets are going to get deeper. And I pray their arms don't get shorter. And I pray for us, uh, some of us older with a little bit of deeper pockets, I pray that our arms can get longer and that we can rediscover some of the gratitude and the generosity that we have had in our lives. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray in this moment, to talk to God or to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. Just take this moment for personal prayer. Lord, in a culture that does seem tailor-made for envy, I pray that we hear that still and small voice of Jesus saying, there is a better way. And so, Lord, from wherever we are today, I pray that we would be led in the path of gratitude and generosity. Some of us move from found shaky foundation to shaky foundation to shaky foundation, hoping that we found something that's now really secure, really recession-proof. This one is, I know it. You invite us to come and build our lives on you, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do that that we would build our lives on the foundation of Jesus and that that would cause us to see the world through a different set of eyes. That we would be moved by your work in this world, moved by the needs of this world. And we would desire to be part of the solution. Not for our own sake, but in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we trust these areas of our lives to you. 
We trust you with the parts of our lives where we're not doing so well. We trust you with the anxiety that some of us feel about this. We ask you not to change us at the surface level, but change us at our core. Make us new. And if that means you need to tinker around with what we do with money, you are free to tinker. We want you to change us at our core. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.